When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the Deluge. I am Justin Cox. This week, we talk Lifted. Lifted, or The Story is in the Soil, Put Your Ear to the Ground, came out on August 13th, 2002, and is Bright Eye's fourth record. It's their first to reach the Billboard Top 200, spending one week at 161. Other albums released that very same month include Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Deaf, Coldplay's Rush of Blood to the Head, Interpol's Turn on the Bright Lights, and Spoon's Kill the Moonlight. Those are some seminal records, and as you'll hear from me in this episode, so is this one. This is my favorite Bright Eyes album. That was true long before this podcast, and it's even more true right now than it's ever been. Kind of by a lot, honestly. Okay, let's talk about timing for a minute, both in the micro sense of Connor Oberst, but also in the more macro kind of like world in which Bright Eyes releases this record. He's 22 years old, and he's already got a collection of demos and two proper albums in his wake, each one more sophisticated than the previous. At their center is Connor Oberst and his quote-unquote problems, and whatever quavery-voiced emo thing was being ascribed to them at the time. On the split records and EP that immediately precede this one, we get a diaristic look at what feels like a young person's rock bottom. But with Lifted, we're in a room full of loved ones. Connor Oberst is our narrator, but these songs are about all of them, together, lifting each other. This is a DIY, folky, emo kid trying something that's unique and ambitious with strings and horns and ancillary percussion and some hard-to-pin-down, show-tune, puppeteer, circus aesthetic type thing. And in most cases, that's going to result in total trash but lifted is not trash and here's how i think connor oberst and very notably mike mogus manage that this thing is recorded in nebraska with a bunch of people from nebraska and i think you can't overstate that check out the wikipedia page for this record if you click through the flute players and harmonica players and french horn players and bassoon players and violin players and oboe players on lifted All of them are from bands that were on Saddle Creek, like Azure Ray and The Good Life and Cursive and The Faint. This is basically an attempt to make a big album with all those types of instruments on it, but just using your friends. This isn't one of those like, hey, our band wants to have strings on our record. Let's call in like the Philharmonic or whatever even smaller time indie version of that this is like hey yo dudes who play on our label already can you play a flute can you form a drum corps and that's why it sounds this way i'm probably sounding dramatic at this point and when i say dudes i should also say i don't mean just dudes this is not just dudes uh this is like Just gathering your friends together and having them try to do a thing. And I say this in the interview that comes up, but I do feel pretty strongly that some of the best art in the world comes from people who have an idea but are not tainted by any teachings. They just kind of try. And that's what this record feels like to me. And he like fully uses that collective of friends as an asset on the album. It's like a personality on the album. It's huge. And nobody is more important in that than Mike Mogus, who produces it. You get lyrics like, So Michael, please keep the tape rolling. And Tim, I heard your album, and it's better than good. So Michael, please keep the tape rolling. Boys, keep strumming those guitars. Yeah, Tim, I heard your album. It's better than good. That's Mogus and Kasher, and it's like specific and perfect and loving and intimate and 
just it's just not it's just perfect on this record just to reiterate this record which has a bunch of parts that really pop off with percussion and full band and everything does not have a drummer it's a small collection of guys comprising a drum corps which means one guy banging a bass drum one guy hitting a snare drum and another guy hitting cymbals like listen to the record with that in mind and you're going to realize that it's like a bunch of percussive snare rolls and it kind of toggles between like civil war reenactment march type stuff and violent femmes kind of beats settle all the way into that mode and his request for a goddamn timpani roll makes total sense and that brings us to our pitchfork review which is written this week by eric carr the record gets a solid 7.7 but the write-up is 77 percent critical let's fucking go connor oberst does not read the reviews nope he is not playing for me fair enough because it shows by now expecting oberst to somehow gravitate away from his tortured tales of youthful angst and the perils of confiding yourself in another seems as hopeless as asking a dolphin to stop using echolocation I really love these early Pitchfork reviews. There's no way 2022 Pitchfork lets Eric lead with the dolphin echolocation thing. Anyways, let's keep going. Would you be shocked to discover that Lifted is just about the least surprising album of all time? It's true. This record will happily provide you with plenty of opportunities to be unsurprised, vocally, thematically, and in some cases, musically. He says, this record will happily provide you with plenty of opportunities to be unsurprised, which is just a hilarious sentence on its face, but also very untrue. Uh, Lifted manages the rare feat of being like an album where every song kind of changes. They don't sound like the last song. It kind of bounces all over. And yet somehow in some way manages to kind of hang together. So this record will happily provide you with plenty of opportunities to be unsurprised. It's very funny to me. Not to mention the fact that it basically does its whole thing. And then right when it seems like it's done, he empties the notebook with a 10 minute barrage of like kind of everything, which is kind of the ultimate surprise if you're hearing it for the first time. Thankfully, it's all dramatically counterbalanced by some of the most unique arrangements Oberst has dreamt up yet. The Bright Eyes Orchestra lends its services to Lifted, pulling a string section and a few horns out of hock for atmosphere, and even recruiting some drunks for choir detail on Laura Laurent. And then, in parentheses, there are some sober folks too, not just Alkies. That seems a little personal. Uh, I don't know what that's about, but... Not just Alkies, that's what it says. All the self-consciousness can become draining after a while, but the lion's share of this album consists of songs about his family and friends and the musings of an artist second-guessing with the prospect of failure and only 22 years old. Hell yeah, Eric. I am with you fully on that. Love it or hate it, the precious nasal vibrato Oberst effects is the tie that binds all these varied tunes together in the end. And in most cases, it complements the music admirably. Okay, I need you to stare contemplatively out a window as I read this next passage. It's going to get dusty and sepia in tone, and uh, the pitchfork writer is going to create a mood for you. The slow burn of don't know when, but day is going to come hangs like a thundercloud in western skies as Oberst talks of men with silver guns and dying for his father's sins. The cadence that unrolls and distant piano warbling sound like the first raindrops that presage an eventual downpour before the song finally breaks with a flood of strings and guitar. It brings to mind some of the darker moments of the man in black himself, Johnny Cash, with all its murmurings of end-time prophecies and sober grit, and that's just about as high a compliment as I could pay. This track is definitely first among equals with the other great moments on Lifted. Okay, that really jumped out to me. That's a long and poetic paragraph given to a deep cut from a record in a review that doesn't even mention, like, you will, you will, nothing gets crossed out, 
or make war, that song gets a full paragraph, like with colorful Johnny Cash type stuff. But I think I figured out why. What else came out in 2002? And you could have it all. the review of that for Pitchfork that would be our guy Eric Carr he clearly had cash on the brain I'm gonna stop myself short of talking more about this song but um don't know when but day's gonna come comes up in this conversation and you're gonna hear some reference to a verse about infidels and gas prices you won't find that on like CDs and records. You will find that on streaming platforms. You won't find it on YouTube necessarily. Um, look into it, Bright Eyes Hive. It's very weird. It's like it's like I think they released this on um, deluxe versions, but it's not like some special cult verse. It's like three lines injected into the first part of the second verse of the least popular song on Lifted. That's interesting. You know, that's funny. This intro has gone long enough, so I'm going to save Let's Not Shit Ourselves and just move on to our guest. She is Claire Caracillo, a features writer at Gawker. And by features writer, I mean she mostly covers every move made by the Queen of England and her royal offspring. She is very funny and also snuck a Jackson Brown article in there, and that's how we connected. All right, Claire Caracillo, welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, so this is a funny, it's funny, I kind of like shoot emails around looking for guests and thinking of people to like have on on podcasts, and this is one of the funnier stories that you can start with like, my my inability to burp and some medical <laughs> procedure I sought out and then like it getting denied by Anthem insurance and then me in that like fit of like annoyance shooting an email to to Gawker to to write a piece about it they say <laughs> yep go ahead that sounds weird to write about it I write about that and then fast forward four or five months I get that procedure by the way I can burp now um story for yeah story for another day so happy to hear it I know I'm glad and then and uh (laughs) fast forward like several months and I'm like out to dinner with some friends and I have some like three or four beers and I come back and I open up Gawker I think this is a Friday night like thank you for reading on a Friday night you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like a little bit instinctual or something I don't really know but I've been an editor of like online websites before and there's like a certain vibe of like what are we gonna put on here to leave for the weekend while things are quiet (laughs) (laughs) you know and that being a thing about Jackson Brown specifically the song Fountain of Sorrow and YouTube comments about this sad song that has happiness that has and so in that little, like, slightly drunken state, I shot an email to those Gawker editors and was like, hey, go tell this person <laughs> to like that article. And that led to a conversation about Bright Eyes. Forward to, yeah. <laughs> so that's very fun for me. Um, glad to have you on. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And I was so happy to receive the email, too, because I think as we talked about a little bit over email, there are some similarities between these two guys when they were teenagers, you know, cr- creating what I think is the best music of their careers slash of really anyone of any age when they're, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 or whatever. Yeah. They both, they both do that thing where you're like, quite honestly, that sounds fucking impossible that you could write that at that age. I simply don't understand how you could think of the world that way at that age. I don't get it. Where's the, yeah. Where did you get that from? Yeah. Tapping into that fountain of sorrow, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And while the future's there for anyone to change, Still, you know it seems it would be easier sometimes to change the past. I'm just one or two years and a couple of changes. The, the term you use in, in that piece you wrote is like the ancient melancholy or that sorrow is just kind of part of the human condition. And like, I think these the Bright Eyes records that come before this one are kind of like, they're kind of all that and all a little bit like young angsty and 
and then that, that last episode it did about songs on the EPs, like it kind of gets real dark, you know, like it kind of, yes. even darker than I even realized it did. Like I, he talks about certain stuff on this record in the past tense, like, like, yeah, it got bad, but right. um, this one has the feel kind of like your thing about Fountain of Sorrow. That's like, the way I think of it is like sadness, but aspirational happiness or something. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. Like there's a, um, I mean, not only like a communal feel to the music on it, but like there's almost like (laughs) positive imagery in it, which is, again, I hadn't listened to the album straight through in in a couple of months probably. And I was looking at it from this perspective and there is like some sort of positive nihilism or or something to it, which was affirming to see. I mean, I listened to your Tim Kasher episode. He kept talking about how, Connor was like a funny kid and it was I was thinking about that I was like he was but this this album is funny there are funny and you know I have my legal pad like there's funny parts to it and there's parts that seem joyful so the thing that I was thinking about is like why does this album feel like a big cohesive thing when it also kind of bounces from like lover I don't have to love to like waste of paint these don't sound anything like each other you know they they sound like totally different production and everything but there is like it just sounds like a room full of people and friends and and this recurring like talk you hear the word lifted a lot you hear like to love and to be loved multiple times Mm -hmm. there is like a we're together in this kind of feeling and it's the best I allowed myself a moment I allowed myself a moment while listening a bunch to fevers and mirrors to think that like you know this might be this this might be my favorite one and a, a dead wrong this is the best one I think it's the best one all right well so the big picture what I will say is like when I go we, we are we should bounce around but like we'll we'll start with a song by song and go where we go okay sure yeah the big picture is like <laughs> I love here here's what I'll say about these introductory tracks is like I love it. I respect that they exist and love them, but also you can count me among the squares who skips them or, or, or slides the dial to some point in the middle and probably misses the very beginning of the musical part of it. Got it. Well, just, just going to cop to it. The beginning of that. Okay. I actually meant to look this up and now I'm on full screen mode and I didn't look it up. That's Jenny and Blake from Rilo Kylie in the beginning. Right. I didn't, I don't know. Don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's something (laughs) a bit of apocrypha that like my sister told me, 15 years ago or something, but I'm pretty sure that that's, so I think that she's the one that's accepting directions in it. So for that reason, I can't ever skip. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, a hidden track or something in that sense. Let's lock that in stone. That's them. Okay. Let's say it. I'm just going to say that. And again, I did mean to Google this, but I didn't. I'll go up to make a right here. Can you make a right here? Yeah. That track to me serves as him like, stating the thesis of his project for this album like you know that term that I used in that piece that I think works a lot for Bright Eyes music that's you know that sort of uh ancient melancholy and this is something I didn't even realize until I was listening to it for this podcast taking notes but like there is a an almost corny sentiment here saying like I like singing and it will lift me up out of darkness. And that's repeated in almost every single song. So I mean, it's cool if you keep quiet, but I like singing. So I'll be holding my nose, stomping and strumming and feeling so very lucky. So it, it's like stating his intentions for what we're going to hear for the next 10 songs or whatever that come next. Yeah, it, it really works. It's beautiful. And then I think something he does, he does it on Fevers and Mirrors and and he definitely does it on this is like, there's this idea of like kind of dissonance. Oh, 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 cross electric wire. It's a baited line. Yeah, the hook's in deep, boys. There's no more time so you can struggle in the water. Be too stubborn to die. Or you could just let go and be lifted to the sky. And then using that to, to take you to a place and then flip it on you. And he, with method acting, it does that. All right, you've had your six minute intro track. And then now <laughs> there's, there's no beginning to the story. A bookshelf sinks into the sand. And it's like, we're fucking off. There's no beginning to the story. A bookshelf sinks into the sand. In a language learned, a forgotten turn is studied once again. 
That's a shocking bit of footage viewed from a shitty TV screen. You can squint at it through snowy static to make up the meaning and keep on stretching the antenna, hoping that it will come clear. We need some reception, a higher message. Just tell us what to fear, 'cause I don't know what tomorrow brings. So lie with such possibilities. All I know. That's my voice, rising. It's like something you could dance to if you needed to. No, it is a banger, and track two on Fevers and Mirrors is a banger, and it's like a stick around, and you're gonna get rewarded like instantly, you know. And mm-hmm. a thing you talk about the kind of like can almost dance to it can can kind of thing. There's like a few songs like that on here, and something that I didn't know until or around the time I started reading up to make this this series is that the the drum do you know do you know the deal with the drum section in this the drums no tell me it's not a drummer it's a set of like five people all kind of like a marching band so there's like one guy banging a a big kick drum type thing a person rolling a snare it's a it's a loose set of five different people or so playing kind of being conducted oh my god i didn't know that and if you listen to it like i like to love and to be loved the last song like i always like Mm -hmm. i was always like you can tell the difference in like a beat when it's like a a perfect thing to a click track or something versus a drummer just going. There was always something about that, that I just, the beat on that song that I just was like, man, I love this so much. I don't know what, I don't even, it's like a, you know, say quoi, like, I don't know what it even is. I think it's that. And and then if you listen through to the drums on the rest of the album, you realize like so much of it is just snare drum rolls and stuff. The kind of stuff you'd hear a guy Damn. in a parade. Play. Michael, please keep the tape rolling Boys, keep strumming those guitars We need a record of our failures Yes, we must document our love I have sat too long in my silence I've grown too old in my pain To shed the skin, be born again Our starts with an ending So thank you, friends, for the time we shared I prefer, um reading reading the lyrics to songs every time i listen to a song rather than like rocking out <laughs> that's funny so even if you're like not multitasking you have music at a i low. love it quiet i would think that bright eyes is maybe my intro to this like i um i think i probably came to bright eyes when i was like i must have been 13 um which was maybe in like 2004 2005 and i had mono and meningitis at the same time and i like stopped going to school um and i think i was in eighth eighth grade and my parents told me that they'd buy me an ipod nano (laughs) if i went to school for a whole (laughs) (laughs) this was like this was like the upswing out of mono no like they just uh, yeah i would say it was the upswing it was the very end of the year like i basically just like stopped going to school um and they were like you gotta you gotta go to high school next year um, so if I made it to a week of school, my parents would buy me a purple iPod Nano and, um, I did it actually. I want to say maybe even a week is generous. It might've been a full day of school. <laughs> I mean, I was sick. I, yeah, <laughs> I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so that, that was what was going on there. And I got, I got this iPod and my sister who's like older and cooler than me and was already into bright eyes, um, she had a my parents old record player in like a a bonus room that we used to have on like the other side of the upstairs of our house and I loved like sort of secretly listening to Bright Eyes as she was listening to it in that room on the record player and I do feel like um when I got this iPod and I was able I think lifted with the last album that was out and she had that on vinyl likely um when I was able to like do it via buying a song on iTunes or um, doing LimeWire, it like felt like this secret tiny thing that I had in my hand. And yeah. I don't know, I just like to listen to it quietly. <laughs> Even when I was t- taking notes for this pod, I was like writing down lyrics and it felt to me the same way that things felt in like eighth, ninth, 10th grade where I would like write a lyric down in my notebook or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So since you told your your lifted origin story, mine is, I mentioned this on one on a previous one, but like, it, I was so I'm eight years older than you, I think, and 
I was in a dorm room and had Kazaa or Morpheus or whatever thing I was downloading, maybe, maybe even LimeWire at that point, but downloaded it. And I think I just, I don't even remember why. I know that I basically had burned a CD that had like nine of these songs and accidentally um, Heavy Metal Drummer by Wilco. And, and so <laughs> did you think it was, it was part of the same canon? I, I don't know. Album? I don't know what I did. I mean, they have, when you download stuff from those, they have all these fucked up file names. And I think I just like, you're just, yeah. you got like your, your big old Dell computer and you're just kicking out burned CDs and playing <laughs> them in the car. But, but it like, the tracks were out of order. It was not all of them. You got this random Wilco track and, but it, but it like, I, it gripped me so hard. I was so like, it, and even to the point that when I finally got the full record and played it in order, I was like, you know, when you have this like romantic connection to the one that was wrong, just because it mm-hmm. was like, and it was like, it was even like lover. I don't have to love like the end of it does the little kind of tippity tappity, like, like drum thing that is actually the start of bowl of oranges, like yeah. before it then goes into it. Mine did that and then just stopped and went into Laura Laurent. Like, that must have been jarring. Basically, (laughs) like the opposite of bowl of oranges. And, and I don't know. It's like, I expect that little thing at the end of, still, when I've been listening to it these last few days, I expect these, those little like drum sounds to just come to a hard stop and then hear like a steel guitar of this sad song. Yeah, in context, I still hear a lot of these songs on CD, like burn CDs that we had in the car. And I expect like some song by someone else to come on, even though I think this album does make most sense when you're listening to it all together. You know, even if it's like, you know, when the door is shutting and it bleeds into another song or whatever. Yeah, they do. That's that's one of the kind of cohesive things. I was talking about the drummer, but like there's four or five times where the things kind of fade into each other and you got like this ambient noise and stuff and it's got a vibe. It's got a vibe. So I'll make peace with the falling leaves. I see their fate in my own body. Love that line. Me too. Uh, and then you get, you get to love and to be loved mentioned one time. Yeah. That's, that's like the first time you hear it on this album. I so before i jump to false advertising and is there anything on that yellow legal pad i mean it's him also repeating his <laughs> i did this like in a, in a way that i felt like i was going to be grilled about this this idea that i presented i wrote um <laughs> Once again, Connor tells us he feels better when he sings. It's like, okay, well then keep doing it, man. So, you know, this also seems like a first chapter, if not an introductory yeah, yeah, yeah. paragraph. Yeah. There is like, like you go method acting and false advertising and they both have this kind of like not not being the real you type thing. Like who is the real you? The um, fuck my face, fuck my name. They're brief and false yeah. advertisements and method acting is all this kind of acting imagery. I don't. I think I, I take the, I take a lot of that as like looking at this past and and heading into like a better better place and time in your life. And again, that's like how this record feels. Yeah, and it's also like I think that false advertising is interesting because this is it's one of my faves. Um, I think he's also even more famous now than he was on Fevers and Mirrors. So that mock interview that you guys talked about on the last this second to last episode or whatever, like that's him sort of having his friends roasting him. But I think in false advertising, also, he um, sort of a crack up about it. He says, like, give me all your pity. And and your money now. All of it. exactly like what the what the thing is about bright eyes and and why we're here and how he's benefiting from it so i think that that's um i love that line i think it's so funny and he's fully aware of the kind of commentary he knows he knows the pitchfork review is coming he knows the and like 
there's this like whole kind of bubbling up thing that don't need to talk about, but like this whole idea of what emo is and stuff like that. And kind of cool to make a, a, an album that has, that aspires towards like buoyancy and like togetherness and getting lifted and, and community and friendship at a time when that's like a narrative that's being pinned to you. Completely conscious or unconscious, you know, completely. It's like this hootenanny, but then this is the song, right? Where he shuts the door and there's like the ambient noise and he walks away sort of from like the joyous communal band, Saddle Creek gang getting together and hanging out. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's like another, again, I kept after listening to the podcast that you do with Tim Casher, I kept thinking about like, what in this is funny. And that's also kind of funny even if it's alienating on purpose it's like oh time to hang up the hat and go back to my life you know yeah. where i'm not um a marionette or i'm I- i'm not this glossy product for the record label like it's still kind of a funny thing To have that door shut and kind of hear heavy breathing or whatever. It totally, like, that thing when, when Tim Casher says these are funny kids, it's like, it's funny to think about that because of just sort of the surface level presentation or narrative around, like, that that time period and the, and those songs, honestly. But it's actually very easy to, to see how he's funny, you know? Like, yeah. it's basically smart and thoughtful and... Honestly, I would say that Gawker does a good job of this. What you all do at Gawker, like oh. it does a good, it's like nihilistic or it's it's definitely not just trying to like overreact in some simple way or try to be funny in a typical way, but these are funny. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that, you know. <laughs> you know, new Gawker was up against uh, some haters. So any anytime I hear any sort of praise of the website as a whole, which I happen to love, I think everyone's a genius. Yeah, yeah. New Gawker was really up against it. And it's, it's, it's good. It's like, it's, it's great. Uh, right. I'm glad to hear it. You know, it's like people, um, I, I know this isn't a Gawker podcast. People forget sort of that the old Gawker was not always um, outing politicians, for example. Like, yeah. you know, there was so much dumb stuff on it all the time. So when people are like always calling us like, and we're all women basically, except for my editor, George, but like, you know, calling us like, dumb bitches like, like <laughs> do you remember what Gawker used to be when it uh it wasn't involved with uh the whole Kogan of it all so tucked in between all of those ones that got headlines or or controversy was people being uh yeah. smart in a dumb way dumb in a smart like way Paris, smart Paris Hilton coverage you know yeah so. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right good good Gawker talk uh what I will tell good you Gawker talk so the part the part in the in false advertising where um they make the mistake now all anyone's listen for other mistakes. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay, it's okay. One, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> say first choice first choice guess i try i did some research and i i couldn't locate an email it seems like maybe she's teaching music or something but and i think it's katie muth the oboe player okay that's who says sorry oh so so i'm um second fiddle to to the oboe player that's honestly a good spot to be in that is a good spot yeah that part is also funny i mean again i'm saying funny in quotes like there's something certainly silly about it um I don't know how I feel about that part, though. The, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's almost like he set up like a, a gag with a punchline. Oh, it is. I mean, yeah, clearly there's no no mistake was made. You don't you don't make a mistake on the word mistake and leave a, a perfect little moment of silence to do that. That's like right. it's designed in. But what I will say that it does is like it does. Uh, and, and the Pitchfork review says the same thing. It's like, uh, come on, how contrived can can it be? And And, and it is. But the like, it's OK. If it rings off the same way to me as like, that was really great. 
at the end of the all the people singing it feels like I, uh, i'm like ah uh, uh, this sounds like a nice room to be in to me oh completely yeah wait what did uh i also meant to look this up what did pitchfork give this originally i think 7.4 but it's like they they managed the um 7.4 but the like two-thirds of the paragraphs knocking it type type thing whatever haters okay <laughs> well here here's here's a fun game here's what i was thinking about is uh let's see i'm, I'm pulling it up right now it the 20 year anniversary of this record is like this mm-hmm. summer or fall 7.7 see that's great that's good that's but great I, I wonder the other one fevers and mirrors was a low low score and so i don't know but this I wonder if they'll re-review this for a 20th anniversary and what they would give it. I, it's got it. it I uh, think it'd be like a, a 9.5. It'd be a high, high nines for sure. Let's predict. I, I can ride with 9.5. Let's predict that right now if they do it. Well, we'll talk about, there's a chunk in this album that I actually don't love, but that I think is beloved, but I think that I'll, I can overlook that. And it's a 9.5. Let's, let's just go to it while we're, while we're at it. I think we can, we can bounce all over. Okay. I mean, okay. I love the trio of, of method acting, false advertising, and you will. I am not, I'm a person who often skips Lover I Don't Have to Love. And I do think that this is because when I came to this album, I was <laughs> pretty young. Um, I was laying in bed all day. I was not like <laughs> fucking and doing drugs. <laughs> and I think like it was a, it was a side of Connor that I wasn't interested in. Yeah, like I, I think that I wasn't interested in his exploits on the road that weren't lonely. And obviously, lover, I don't have to love is like filled with extreme sadness and acting out and loneliness. But it was like I'm more for him in his room. You were looking for after the club. Yeah, you were looking for mono music <laughs> for bed, bed bedridden mono mono music. Yeah, this is That's, like this is like yeah. bad boy bad boy vibes. This is total bad boy vibes. Yeah, this is him like drop. You know, I think that that, again, I'm sorry that I meant to look. These are all things like I learned on the Bright Eyes message boards like <laughs> as a teen and haven't fact checked since. But um, there's like a J.D. Salinger quote in here, right? The I asked your name, you asked the time. Isn't that from mm-hmm. Catcher in the Rye? Probably, I don't know. I don't like, know. To me, that's, uh, and I don't know what kind of stands you've got. I know that you do post on the message boards, but like, this is another example of him, to me, being corny. Yeah. <laughs> quoting, quoting Catcher in the Rye. Like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, so, I mean, I think, love, so to me, the way this thing happened, plays out is method acting, false advertising, you will, you will, lover I don't have to love, bowl of oranges. To me, that mm-hmm. it, just, it that's like relentless to me. Like, I, I think lover I don't have to love, it's like, I agree that it's not, it's not like in my bed trying to be like being a sad eighth grade girl. Yeah. Being on rest cure as an eighth grader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, and, and also it's musically like, it's musically so sharp and cool and it like builds up. It builds up on this first verse that feels once you've heard the song all these times, it feels like it's about to bomb into the, chorus but then just kind of dials back to nothing and then does it yeah. does it again I do like the part of the song where this part I think is like supremely Connor Oberst when he says like bad actors like that is the um that's like the impression that one would do of Connor Oberst like saying like sleeping bag you know and uh, that is this is a really good song to show that to someone if he needed a highlight you know uh what is this man's aste- what's this man's vocal aesthetic bad actors with bad habits just show him that part bad actors with Bad habits, some sad singers, they just play tragic and the phone's ringing and the band's leaving, let's just keep touching, let's just keep, keep singing. 
also like thematically very similar, I think, even though I think this is like a where the album sort of like uh, rises in a different way. He's still talking about like sad singers, bad actors, which I think is a real feat that he's able to get this imagery in and kind of like in Fevers and Mirrors, like it seems genius a lot of the time. Um, you know how you're saying like in anyone else's hands, like in Fevers and Mirrors, like a, a spindle and a clock would be whatever. I think he does the same thing here by making like stage uh, actors um, going off stage, making that all seem yeah, yeah, very beautiful and interesting in his hands. Totally, I, I think it is. I think it is like genius in the hands of a young person, and being made by a group of young people, not by like Mike Mogus. Like these people are are kind of learning how to do all of it too. Like there's there's this little documentary clip that I watched of Mike Mogus saying like, yeah, he had this big, like kind of cinematic idea and this, and like Connor Oberst is saying like, I didn't know how, I don't know how to make the thing I want to make, but I can kind of try to describe it. And Mike will try to listen to it and we'll just kind of try. And that's when they, that's when they show the, the drum section. And he's like a drum core, I guess it's called. And he's like, mm. yeah, this idea, like, I don't know how to do that, but let's try it. And I think kind of the way you end up with the best things really in the world, like the best things across all walks of life is like someone who's brilliant, but not yet like shaped by an outside narrative, right? It's like outsider art or something. It's like, you're just making things in your little hole in your community. And that's how you make an original thing, you know? Completely. Yeah. And like having Mike Bogus, who I think is a little older than him, right? Like shepherding him I, I don't know it seems like and I think Mike Mogus is likely a genius in his own right but uh, yeah that he he has this guy sort of shepherding and making possible things that he doesn't know how to do yet whether he's too young or he you know um can't play all the instruments or whatever there's a part in spend an evening with Saddle Creek which I actually haven't seen in years but I watched a clip yesterday and I always remembered um Connor in a crocheted blanket and in my memory he was <laughs> smoking a cig through one of the holes in the crochet but actually he just has it on his lap but that's how I remembered I it. it but I think there's a part in that where he is learning how to play the piano I think he's playing a song from he might be playing when the curious girl realizes she's under glass he can't play the piano yet and he he walks off stage sheepishly and is like that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life um, so this is all to say, I think he's, I think he's since learned how to play many, many instruments. And they got a, a stable of them in their big old community in Nebraska, you know, exactly. and this, this record takes that to its extreme. It's, it's, uh, all, all, all these people are all over it. All those faint guys, all the cursive guys, the, right. I don't know when Rilo Kylie signed to Saddle Creek records, but it's around this time. Right. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Oh, the other thing about this song that I just saw that I had written down is, uh, he does a play on to love and to be loved where he says love's an excuse to get hurt and to hurt. I was like, damn, this guy's good. <laughs> love's an excuse to get hurt and to hurt. Do you like to hurt? I do, I do. Then hurt me. remember you know being 13 14 15 16 17 18 or whatever and being like duality <laughs> <laughs> well i remember now being 38 and being having that pointed out to me so yeah and you're going like damn, <laughs> damn dude what's he doing <laughs> yeah so we go from lover i don't have to love into bowl of oranges and the rain has started tapping on the window near my bed there was a loophole in my dreaming so i got out of it to my surprise, my eyes were wide and already open. Just my nightstand and my dresser, where those nightmares had just been. So I dressed myself and left them out into I said I said this on the on the last one, but it's just like this was the one on that mix of like nine nine songs. And I was listening to a lot of sad music at that time. I was fully, I guess I was like maybe 19 years old, and I was fully 
down on Jackson Brown and I was in, I was, I was like at the point where I had all of that kind of backdrop and I was seeking this music, you know, I was finding this kind of music. And so when, when you get a song tucked into like that burn CD, that is bowl of oranges, that is like, it's, it's joy, you know, like, yeah, like a doctor. Thank you. I, I think I'm cured. In fact, I'm sure. Thank you, stranger, for your therapeutic smile. Said I've seen I'm fact, I'm sure. Thank you, stranger, for your therapeutic smile. This could be absolute bullshit in the wrong hands. This could be... Oh, I might disagree with you. This is another one that I'm not always keen to listen to. I don't know. Again, it might be like my impulse to not like a a song that's so uncomplicatedly optimistic. And I actually think he is doing something by placing this like pretty firmly in the middle of the album. Um, And then like we go downhill from there. Yeah. uh, But um. I don't know. I don't, I don't always love this song. Um, And this, but this is another one where he's like telling us the thesis of the song in the song, you know, like when crying don't help um, it's best to compose a poem. um, I mean, it's, it's kind of indisputably a song, a happy song about painting and writing poetry and, and feeling good. And I mean, it is that. And, and you know what, like, it's a good point you make about it where it's placed in the album. Like, if Bowl of Oranges was placed on an album full of other Bowl of Oranges type songs by an artist who makes Bowl of Oranges type songs, it ain't gonna it ain't gonna work for me, you know. That I could right, go listen to right. uh, go listen to what artist can I like just burn out of nowhere without without any thought? Jack Johnson or something? Can I shoot Ooh! a stray shoot a stray bullet at Jack Johnson? I don't know. The the overlap though between the bright eyes heads and the Jack Johnson heads. They might uh, be coming for you. I, I, around this same time, my friend Tony, who's like my, maybe my equivalent to your sister, like that I was, we were getting really into this music and, and the lyrics and everything like that. And I was in, I was college age. And so I was like, w- think about what other music was at that time, which Jack Johnson very much was. And like Ben Harper was, and there were like these, I like would just get whatever random stray Ben Harper songs I would download. And there were like some really good ones. And then I worked at a grocery store over summer and the song, his like big song was steal my kisses. Like I always have to steal yeah. my kisses from you. Cause I always have to steal my kisses from you. Always have to steal my kisses from you. And my friend was like napping in a different room and I'm sitting like out in the front porch of my parents' house playing this song on guitar, like learning it. And then, <laughs> and then my friend comes in from his nap and he's just like, what the what are you playing what are you doing what What is herb don't don't play this this is not and i was like oh i don't know i'm like i'm (laughs) that's humiliating i'm sorry i'm sorry he called you out like that it's good it was good it was good to be called out you know like you don't know it set you back on the right track yeah yeah. and ben harper has some really good songs so if you're like exploring some new new person you know it's gonna happen yeah Exactly. Yeah. And so you're right, though. Like it, you get Bowl of Oranges, which I do love. And I think we see the beauty then. We'd stand staring in awe at our sterilized pose. Like a bowl of oranges. Like a story told. But the fault lies as a And then you go, you get some kind of uh, dissonant noise, and then you drop into don't know when, but day's going to come. It doesn't get hot until about four minutes in. Yeah, this, this, is, a, this is one that requires patience, and it's, it's I'd say this is actually, this is, I, I, I like this, I like every, every song on this album, I will say. I, I, I love this album, but I'd say this is my, I don't know, it's my least favorite, but I, I still really like it. It's just I don't want to, I'm not, often in the mood to necessarily sit with those first four minutes of that song, I guess. 
I completely hear you on that. Like it's, um, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for what his impulses are, but like, I do think that this does indulge um, some of the impulses that I find annoying in Bright Eyes. And again, I'm saying this is a massive fan, um, but this is also, yeah, this is like not really one that I am putting on a playlist or listening to. I'll often fast forward through. Um, it's the least played uh, song on this album on Spotify. I could say that. So we're not, we're not, we're not saying anything controversial. Yeah. On, on this record. Okay. There's also like, I swear to God, there's like different versions of maybe I had some non-album version of this song when I first started listening to it again, like from LimeWire or something, but I always had a version of this song where he talks about gas prices and infidels. Do you have, is that the song that you're Okay. There's that's, some version that exists that that's not in there. Um, mm. But I just think like that's interesting too, that uh, on the version that he does talk about, like we have to go to, they say we must defend ourselves on foreign soil against, uh, against the infidels with the oil wells, God save gas prices. That also to me like is explicitly political in a way that I'm not exactly sure existed in bright eyes at this time like that comes out a lot more in desaparecidos and certainly on let's not shit ourselves um yeah but some of so, while i believe politically connor and i are quite aligned like i fucking hate like when the president talks to god like that sort of um when he does those like parables <laughs> about politics i hate that i hate when he does it no, i think i think the lines on this song come off a little cringy now like uh, they come off cringy they may, maybe even then but like i think there's a reason when the president talks to god is not on a record you know it's a uh, i think like this moment i was thinking about this today when I, I was listening to this when i took a walk just now and like yeah. this is 2002 so we are post 9-11 but pre-iraq and so right stuff is and and post uh gore bush election and so stuffing stuff ain't good but stuff's not all the way bad yet you know stuff's not all right. the way cynically like bad in a way that i mean you and i are talking on the day that roe v ray roe v wade yes. got overturned and it feels right. it feels it doesn't feel like a stretch to say like a real tangible like a real long tumble started right around this time like mm-hmm you're literally talking about some of the presidents getting elected without a popular vote that changed that law that assigned the justices that changed that law today, you know, completely, completely. Yeah. And I mean, we, I think I mentioned this briefly, but that's why, like when I was listening, you know, an hour after Roe got overturned, when I was listening to let's not shit ourselves, like I was crying because it's all the cowboy president that he speaks of that. I, you know, I hate the Bush thing. And when the president talks to God, but I loved it. I love it in this song. Uh, I was like, oh, it's all, it's all related. I also just remembered an anecdote that I hadn't even thought of called um, when all the Sheriff Joe stuff was happening in Maricopa County. Yep. My, my sister and I and a friend of ours, I must have been in early college. I must have been like 18 or 19. We drove over the summer from Chicago to Omaha to go to this like Desaparecidos and I think the Good Life and maybe some other shit cool bands to uh, this thing called the Concert for Equality that was I think it was raising funds I actually can't even remember what it was for but I just remembered that uh, I had a fake ID because <laughs> I couldn't drink yet and. <laughs> I um, used an Arizona fake ID to get into this like anti-Arizona festival. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's that interesting of an anecdote, but I mean, like it was, it, it would be pretty wild if someone had driven from Arizona to Omaha to go <laughs> um, instead of just dri- driving down from Chicago. <laughs> Why was your fake ID from Arizona? I don't know. <laughs> that's just who the hookup, that's who the hookup so- had we went to high school with some guy that was like yeah I can make it for you and um you know I think we had photoshop at that point but I I remember like I had like a jagged head on it and we were from I believe me and like nine of my friends were from Fountain Hills Arizona you gotta go Um, you gotta go to Fountain Hills at some point I gotta go there yeah I do think that later that ID was confiscated and I used to like wake up in the middle of the night being like (gasps) 
I'll never get hired for a job. Like I used <laughs> to think that that would follow me around because like some guy in Florida confiscated it from me at, at a, bar, a bar. Yeah. What I do, what I really agree with is that the way the politics creep into let's not shit ourselves. I think is amazing. I think because the song is like, so, so blatantly sprawling and, and yeah. it's so, it's so what it is, you know? And so that's looking inward. That's looking outward. It feels, it, it feels in a way it's, it's not that kind of like sort of political folk music sung in that way. Doesn't necessarily, it's not, not my bag. You know, I had in the Jackson Brown podcast, I had to kind of learn to like those like eighties ones that are about that, like his, his music, you know, it never, I can appreciate, but I don't gravitate to, you know? Right. It's not it, like, let's not shit ourselves is not like a protest folk song in the, in the spirit of like Bob Dylan or whatever. Like it's a, deeply personal story that like the final the final verse or whatever gets into it all um that song is forever that's probably one of the first bright eye songs i heard and loved like that is my forever fave song i think it's crazy it's just an insane song and i think i think it pulls off it pulls off a trick of like that was a really good album and now here's the last song let's see what it is and it's like well well shit like that's 10 that's a 10 minute barrage of like Ah, it's just too, it's just, it's not just the last song on that album. It's like this whole extra thing. There could be a whole episode of this, this podcast, just about that song, you know? I completely agree. Like going through like anecdote by anecdote. I mean, it might not even be enough to call the stories on that song anecdotes, but like, I don't know. I just think that's like probably the best song he's ever written and that has ever been written. And it hasn't aged poorly in the way that um, like some Desaparecido songs kind of have and like some of the more political bright eyes songs have i think i think that like i think i heard him interviewed once saying that like yeah bright eyes is bright eyes and these solo albums they're they're like inward looking contemplative songs or whatever and desparcitos was the is the ability to just talk about the world you know and stuff like that's gonna age badly i mean thinking about like the politics of it like thinking about that time the when the president talks to god and stuff like that like connor oberst is playing uh benefits for john Kerry and stuff at that time it's like imagine that just sounds so uninspiring and like john Kerry, john Kerry's not barack obama or bernie sanders or something that creates something it's like he's not like an inspiring progressive force i mean Mm -hmm. however one feels about how you know obama's legacy is and and the bernie of it all like it's um john Kerry is not an exciting politician for young people or any any thinking person really. So yeah, that is that is such an that was such an interesting era. Yeah, like when he was doing fundraisers like alongside Bruce Springsteen and stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. No, yeah. it's it feels very much of a different time. Like that all everyone was I think it was just like that was the I think we were at a time and it was like George W. Bush needs to go. This is bad. Who is the politician i mean it was like howard dean and then he like shrieks and he's out (laughs) and then it's oh yeah (laughs) yeah i I think it was just this like who feels presidential and it's like maybe we're still doing versions of that but if it feels no i don't know man it's that's a weird time to think about didn't work though fucking lost yeah yeah it didn't work (laughs) sorry guy and i'm trying to think of like explicitly trump specific bright eyes music I'm a little less like religious about the newer, unfortunately, the newer Bright Eyes things. I think just because I think maybe you and Ian Cohen were talking about this, like I can't I can no longer tap into the belly hurt of Bright Eyes that I felt when I was younger, just because like I'm 30 now. And I think that's why I haven't as like been as much of a zealot about Bright Eyes in the last like 10 years or whatever that I used to be. I did see Bright Eyes perform last month, though. It was like, I think I told you this over email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... I was in St. Augustine, Florida, where my, my parents live. And my mom and my sister and her girlfriend and me and my boyfriend went. And after all of the um, ado about, you know, like what I think had happened in Nashville and maybe like Cincinnati or Cleveland. Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He w- it was like a totally boring, sober show. We had fun. We were screaming our little hearts out. But uh, you got you got kind of like the the down the middle set. 
kind of thing. Yeah, it's just, just like I it was think just like whatever. What so like with the later albums to me, like I'm I'm really up on it all the way through Casadega, and then I know I loved the People's Key. Okay, I loved that one, and that's sort of after that is sort of where I have been less obsessed. Well, I mean, to be fair, they didn't make an album for like nine years, so there's that's there really true, was yeah. nothing. <laughs> you know what? Good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So like I I know that I like people's key, but I don't know it on the level of like this little this little run of of lifted digital ash. I'm wide awake, Casadega. I'm I know those albums like in, yeah. inside and out, you know. And so, but in in the process of those Jackson Brown ones, it was kind of cool to shift from being like a person talking about music I listened to to a person interviewing people who actually know, you know, like, I'm not going to pretend completely. I'm yeah. not going to pre- pretend to know about like the 14th Jackson Brown album from 1989. That's about like Iran Contra, but right. <laughs> happy to talk about it. You know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm on the lifted app because this is what I, this was like formative for me. So, yeah. you know, even though I, I took notes cause I'm a, you know, a diligent student. I, um, <laughs> I can, I can remember the entire album probably like, you know how, like, in the olden times, like, they made students memorize Longfellow poems? Yeah. You know, that's us, but doing it with, <laughs> an, with the entirety of Lifted. <laughs> it's not hard. Well, the future's got me worried, such awful thoughts. My head's a carousel of pictures. The spinning never stops. I just want someone to walk in from enough of so don't know when but day is going to come kind of pops at the end and then we get nothing gets crossed out which a couple moments on yeah this like there's a few songs i think it was contrast and compare on um letting off the happiness and this one where it's like the the harmony vocal that's just just them two singing together it's just kind of shadowing each other all the way through it and it's angelic and beautiful it's so pretty I listened to a few of the EPs that came out that are like the, you know, Taylor's version of Bright Eyes. Yeah, um, yeah. And Waxahachie sings on Contrast and Compare, and it's really beautiful. Uh, she sings with him. But that's just an aside. I was, te- I was texting with a friend about that, and it's like, uh, I think I had just, I just like, bombed in so hard on on letting off the happiness and was like really i kind of came to love that song so much and then went to it and like that waxahachie record that came out of the beginning of the pandemic is like the best i, I don't know if i've liked an album that much in a long time uh, same yeah and kind of has some similarities to this like similar like in in terms of not sonically but in terms of it was a it was a positive light it was a positive thing to have in life at that time you know Oh, completely. To the point where I can't even really listen to that album anymore because I have such strong association associations of me early days of the pandemic, like looking for one source of light and that was it. That's your like uh, 15 years later mono experience was a pandemic. Exactly. Pandemic yeah, it's all related, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. Which is to say I like simultaneously love that she does that on that song, but also cannot take myself away from that other one like it's like uh as much as i like this no i hear you i hear you she also she also sings a verse on the city has sex and it's i love it um but connor's voice on it isn't young anymore i mean you hear that he's like 20 years older or whatever and that's also very weird about those new releases um yeah. again i don't know if you're a swifty i'm a very late in life swifty um but i was too busy listening to bright eyes but um <laughs> Her on the on her re-released albums, the Taylor's versions, her voice is more mature and I, I can't get with it totally. Okay. I haven't listened to the re-released versions of those albums. I'm not that much of a Swifty, yeah. but I'm a I'm a sucker for a melody and sucker for a turn of phrase or a she's about the best. She's about the best at doing that as a pop musician. She's 
amazing. Oh yeah. I in bad blood when Taylor Swift says band-aids don't fix bullet holes, I'm like, that's a bright eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emo, you're real. That's some real <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's... maybe it's more of like a brand new lyric than a bright eyes. Yeah, exactly. It goes hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but I love nothing gets crossed out. I love when he name drops his friend Tim. That I think part... it's so cute when they do that. That part is just like I'll, I'll I'll splice it in, but Tim, I heard your album and it's better than good. When we get off tour, I think we should hang out and blackout together, which I guess is the that's the name of the the good life album. That's just how cute. It's beautiful. It's like really, really heartwarming, especially now that especially now that Tim Casher is my new friend. Um oh yeah, well you guys are close. Hey, it's Justin. Part two of the Lifted episode is live on Patreon right now. Claire and I talked a bit about the politics of let's not shit ourselves in this conversation, but we take the full plunge toward the end, not to mention all of the other songs on side B of this record. Hit the link in the episode description or go to patreon.com slash after the deluge. To be totally clear, part two of this episode will end up in this feed eventually as well. Don't let me, like, salesman huckster you into a Patreon subscription. But I put a lot into this show and making it, and the Patreon is a way for you to support that process and get some extra stuff along the way. And if you've never used Patreon, don't be scared of it. It's just a website and an app, and it's easy, and you listen exactly the way you're listening right now. Again, that's patreon.com slash after the deluge. The second half of this episode is live there. Well, hey!